Do you want to hear a story? There is uh, a rumor, uh, an urban legend, if you will, among people who study Catholic theology, that this book here, the lectionary, the collection of scripture readings we get for Sunday Mass, that it was edited by people who never had to preach from this book. Top men, to be sure, but never had to preach from it. And as a, a theology student, I said, well, that can't be right. That can't be true. And then I had to start preaching from it. And I said, you know, I think it, it may be true. The people who put this book together don't have a lot of confidence in them. Let me tell you why. All right, so we've got the story from the first book of Samuel. And it's a nice story. The Lord calls Samuel. Samuel wakes up. Here I am. Hooray, nice heartwarming story. And let's get on to brunch. But no, 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 not so fast. Look at the numbers of the reading. 1 Samuel chapter 3. Well, where does it start in chapter 3? It starts in verse 3b. Well, what does that mean? It means they left out the first verse of the chapter. They left out the second half, they left out the second verse of the chapter, and they left out 3a, the first half of the third sentence. Now, did they leave out anything important? Now, please don't shout out your answers. Don't spoil the surprise for the few of your brethren who didn't do the homework and didn't look this up. All right, so what we've got here in the book is this happy story of the Lord answers Samuel. That's not how the story actually began. That's how these people edited it, but it's not how God wrote it. Listen to how God wrote it. Now, the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord under Eli, who was supposed to be his mentor, Samuel's guide. And then the top men left out these words that God wrote. The word of the Lord was rare in those days. Visions were not widespread. And at that time, Eli's eyesight had begun to grow dim. Think about that. There were no visions. The word of God was rare. Does that sound like any time that you're familiar with now? When asked for a show of hands. And Eli wasn't such a great guide. It took three times to say, oh gosh, someone's calling Samuel. Maybe it's God. Can't you picture Eli scratching and say, does God, does God still do that? Does God still reach out to people? Does he have anything to say to anyone at all? We haven't heard him in a while, so we just assume... You know, we'll go, we'll do the thing, we'll light the candle, but we're not expecting, you know, anything to actually happen with God. God doesn't do that anymore. And finally, Samuel got the call. So I want you to take that image, that the word of God was unknown, visions were rare, Eli wasn't very helpful, Samuel got it on the third try. Take all that. Now, and we'll come back to it later. I want to shift your attention to marriage. I know a lot, a lot, a lot of married people. And I'm sorry to say that a lot of marriages, there's not a lot of there there. They're intact. Nobody's moved out. But there are very, very few signs of life. Let me give you an illustration. Many years ago, as a young man, I was having a conversation with a colleague. She had been married for a few years long enough to get to the point where she was wondering, is this all that there is? 
Isn't there anything else? Shouldn't the roots be getting deeper? Shouldn't the fruits begin to be ripening by now? So she talked to the older women in her family, and she told me the consensus of her advisors was this. Look, he's got a job. He helps you with the groceries. He doesn't drink. He doesn't smoke. He doesn't gamble. He doesn't cheat on you. And he doesn't beat you. What more do you want? Then she went to her godmother. And her godmother said, honey, your father and I, we've been married for 15, your uncle and I, we've been married for 15 years. Are we happy? Of course not. But that's just the way that marriage is. <laughs> so she asked me what I thought, and I said, that can't be right. That can't be right. Why would you have a party when you got married? They'd be like having a party for going to prison. Congratulations, you're a lifer. We got a photographer. It doesn't make sense. And that got me to thinking, there are a lot of people, an awful lot of people, who've quiet quit on their marriage. They haven't left. They kind of play house. But there's this big no-man's land between them, a demilitarized zone. A lot of barbed wire and minefields and not a lot of interaction. They've given up. They go through the motions. They keep up the appearances. But there is no life. Now take that awful, awful image and let's bring it back here to our relationship with God. I will make bold to say that very many people, I will make bold to say that most people have quiet quit on God. It's like a dead marriage. They go through the motions, they show up, they expect nothing, and they give nothing, and then they wonder why they're miserable. Oh, Father, there you go exaggerating again. Your Irish is showing. Cut that out. You're scaring the children. But let's think about this for a minute. How many people do you know when you think of them, you say, that person is in union with God? How many people you, do you know that when they enter the room, you turn and look, they have what the military would call command presence? Someone that you just know spends time with God and listens and hears the kind of person you want to run up to and say, I want to hear what that person has to say. How many do you know like that? Five? Three? One? Now let's ask a harder question. How many people would say that about you? How many people would point at you and say, I know by the way you talk, by the way you pray, by what you say yes and no to, that you practice the presence of God. I know you well enough to know that the word of God is always on your lips, on your mind, and in your heart. You're speaking scripture all the time. You talk about our Lord as if he is your intimate friend. How would you get that way? Tell me. How many people do you know who would confidently say that about you? I don't think very many people would say that about me, but I keep showing up 
because it's important. So here is the shocking news. I think that most people have quiet quit on God, and a lot of priests agree with me. How do I know that? Some of you know that I work in media. I'm in touch with priests all over the country every day, and especially on Mondays, priests call me up miserable, and they say, Father, it happened again. I offered three masses. I preached to three rooms full of mannequins. There was no life in their eyes. They were comatose. They shuffled in, they shuffled out, and it looked like nothing happened in between. That's what priests say. That's what they say to me. I wonder why. Now here's another question for you. What would you say to those priests? Those priests who don't say TGIF, thank God it's Friday, because they know on Sundays they have to offer the Mass of the Dead. The people who show up and go through the motions, couple bucks in God's tip jar, got my anti-hell insurance for the week, and I'm out of here because real life has started. What could you possibly say that would encourage them or comfort them? Would you say, well, not us. We're not like that. Mm-mm. Never, never. Maybe you can say that. I don't know. I want to ask for a show of hands. But what can we learn from this? How do we fix it? How do we make it better? Well, we go to the gospel. John the Baptist points to our Lord and says, Behold the Lamb of God. And Jesus finds two disciples following him, and he says to him, What are you looking for? What if God said that to you? What are you looking for? How would you answer? More stuff. My car keys, my wallet, my glasses, my teeth, my hair, my memory where I parked my car, my password for Netflix. What are you looking for? And the answer is is astounding. They say, Lord, where are you staying? Isn't that amazing? Isn't that heartbreaking? Somewhere they knew there was something about this carpenter from Nazareth. They wanted to get to know him. Lord, where are you staying? Do we ever say that to God? Lord, where are you? Don't you speak anymore? Don't you act among your people anymore? Don't you have anything to offer us in the mess that we're in, the mess that we've made? Where are you? I think I might need you. And notice what our Lord does. He says to them, come and you will see. So you notice what happened. And then here's the amazing thing. They didn't walk away. They didn't say, is this going to take long? When do we get the thing so we can go? They didn't say that. They didn't just say their prayers and fall asleep. They didn't start to say their prayers and say, oh, look, the magic story box is pinging. Come, let me worship. No. They gave him their time. They gave him their silence. They gave him their undivided attention. 
They didn't quiet quit. They approached God with hunger and need and expectation. Do we do that? Do we do that consistently? Do we do it daily? Do we do it moment by moment? I'll be candid. I'm not real impressed with 2024 so far. It's gotten off to a rocky start. Happy New Year. Yeah, not so much. And in God's providence, we have Lent starting very early. February 14th. Thanks be to God. I can't wait. I do a nice Lent. I don't get Advent. All that excitement and anticipation. No. I want blood. I want nails. I want thorns. I want wood. I want dirt. I want lamentation. Because that's real. Because that's where we are. We are in the tomb. We've walked in there, we've laid down in the dirt, and we gave up. And we need to cry out, Father, as you sent the fire of your spirit to draw the, your son out of the grave, do that now for me. Do that now for us. I don't want to be a rung, rot, rotting flesh anymore. I don't want to be among comatose souls anymore. You said you came to bring abundance, to bring life, to bring joy. I've been living without it, and I can't take it anymore. So now, I will give you my time. I will give you my silence. I will give you my undivided attention. I will confess to you my sin and my need and my longing, and I will pray with open hands. I will stand before you as Samuel once did and say, Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. God has put a burden on my heart to give you a challenging message today. We're in trouble and we're in need. And the vision is not commonplace. And the word of God has not been heard. And now we have an invitation to break free, to come out of the tomb, to stop quiet quitting, and to worship and to intercede and give witness and receive everything that God has always intended. Or we can go back to sleep. We can go back to our distraction. We can go back to our boredom. God Almighty says, I set before you a choice. I set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Choose life. May God's holy name be praised now and forever.